Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Won't you stand with me, if you would, Matthew 16, 13 through 19. I'm going to read from the NIV. You're welcome to uh, read along with me if you'd like. All right. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Come on, let's all pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we have to spend together this evening. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your power being released through worship and giving, Lord God. And we ask you, speak to our hearts tonight. Let us open our hearts to that which you want to say. May the seed of your word find good soil in us, and may it produce fruit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. We all said, amen, 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 amen. I'm going to move this a little bit. Praise God. How are we all doing tonight? Well, Pastor Daniel mentioned that I was playing the keys to a lot of key moments in his life. Uh-huh. But tonight, we're actually going to talk about a different kind of keys. How many of you are really good at losing these sort of things? Come on, lift your hands high. Don't be ashamed. We're going to start a support group for all of us, all right? Because we'll start a life group, all right? Um, uh, I'm the worst at it. I lose keys like crazy, and my hosts that I'm staying, staying with are probably now really nervous that they handed me keys to their house. Don't worry, guys. I'm going to take good care of them. But keys, I tend to just leave them in random spots. I can't find them. It's the same with glasses. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you find it, and you're like, why would I ever put it there? You know, you're just, you're just your mind's in other places. And we have to ask tonight, as we jump into this, what do keys do? Well, it's pretty obvious, but I'll state it. They open doors, they open spaces that perhaps we would otherwise not have access to. They start engines, they move us forward in vehicles, they cause us to be able to fulfill some work, like on a tractor or lawnmower, or maybe a snowplow. I don't know, you guys deal with that stuff here. The snow's beautiful. You know where we're from? We just think it's always like this in Alaska. Like, isn't this always how it is? And it's not, right? Right, right. We keep hearing that from everybody, but it's amazing. So keys, they're important. And this passage that we read, super familiar, Jesus is talking with his disciples. It said in a region called Caesarea Philippi. It was a region. It was a city, but it was a very, very dark city. In fact, Pastor Daniel and I were talking today. It was known as the darkest place in Israel. There were many pagan temples there, and especially there was the worship uh, emphasized to the, to the pagan god Pan. And there was like a pool, I believe it is. I've never been there, but some of you have. How many of you went to Israel? Anybody in this room? So y'all are like, yeah, we know this. We were there. 
In fact, Hank was talking with me about this very thing uh, when he was driving, uh, driving me from uh, uh, Anchorage the other day. And so this place was very evil. There would even be human sacrifices. Uh, Pastor Daniel and I were talking today. He would, they would throw their, their babies in, even into this pool to drown them as a human sacrifice to Pan. Super evil place. And this is the place where Jesus is talking to these guys. And he looks at Simon and he says, Peter, you're na- Simon, you're Peter. You're a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell. Well, that place that we're talking about, that, that place where they would sacrifice to Pan, it was known as the gates of hell. And so literally Jesus is giving like a full-blown illustrated sermon. He's saying right here in this darkest place, and the darkest place you can imagine on this earth, he's saying, it will have no effect on my church because my church is a rock that will withstand anything. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then Jesus talks about keys. He talks about the keys to unlocking this kind of thing, unlocking this kind of victory for his, his church that hadn't even really happened yet, the church that was ahead for his disciples who he's talking to. And we're his disciples, amen? So he's talking to us. He calls them the keys of the kingdom. But before he even gets to the keys, he says this, who do men say I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he says, but what about you? Simon, James, John, Thomas, disciples, who do you say I am? Because, see, Jesus is getting down to something. It's this. It doesn't matter what the crowd says. It doesn't matter what others say. It matters what you say. No one can choose salvation for you. Not your parents, not your grandparents. It comes down to what do you say? What do you say, disciples? And Simon says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase this, says, you didn't just come up with that yourself. He says, my father has revealed this to you. And we learn something through these verses. And through it, I'm going to share five keys to the kingdom of God. Now, listen, there might be more than five keys, but in this passage that we're looking at, we're going to talk about five keys. And the first key is this, believing. Say it with me. What? Believing. It's just believing that Jesus is God, just like Peter did, that he's the son of God, that he's the Messiah, the anointed one. It's faith. Faith is the first key. And Simon expressed his faith and his belief. The second key is this, it's confession. Say that with me, what? Confession. Jesus said it, who do you say that I am? Jesus doesn't mince words. When God speaks, planets show up. When God speaks, light appears. So Jesus doesn't just throw words around. It's important, he just didn't say, "Um, what do you feel in your heart? He didn't say that. He said, who do you say that I am? Speaking it is important. And Peter spoke it. He said, you are the Christ. So the first key was belief. It was faith. The second is confession. It falls right in line with Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with the mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Confession and belief are keys that open the kingdom to us. We call that salvation. Those things happen, and suddenly the kingdom comes into our hearts. Amen? But the third key is this. Jesus said it. He said, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, just by your own. You didn't come up with this in your own humanness. He said, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. The third key is this, revelation. Say it with me. What? Revelation. Revelation from God the Father. In fact, John 6, says, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. The Father drew every one of us in this room. Amen. I remember when I was a kid, I, I grew up in church. My family, you know, we went to church. Uh, it was, you didn't miss church in my family. But just missing church doesn't mean you're saved. And when I was a seven-year-old kid, I was uh, playing. It was a hot Oklahoma sweltering summer uh, evening, and I was playing in my bedroom and over in the closet. I can remember it as, as clear as a bell. And suddenly I just stopped as a seven-year-old and said, I should get saved. I want to get saved. And I trotted out to my mom who was sitting in a lawn chair in the front yard and said, Mom, I want to get saved. And she said, okay, let's pray. And I prayed right then. And then I trotted back in the room and played with my toys again. All right. That wasn't something a seven-year-old just came up with. That was the Holy Spirit, the Father ministering to, by the Holy Spirit to a young boy's heart and drawing him. It was the same for all of us in this room at some time or another. How many of you can say, the Father drew me? You remember the moment. You remember the time. So we see the third key to the kingdom. It's revelation of who Jesus is. It, it's God pulling the blinders off of our eyes. It's God allowing us to see truth for what it is. And in fact, revelation period is a key. It's the revealing of truth, knowledge, gaining understanding by God. Amen? Amen. The fourth key is this, proclamation. Say it with me. What is it? Proclamation. It's speaking out the good news of who Jesus is. It is what Peter is doing here. He's making a proclamation. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And isn't it amazing that that's what Peter ends up doing for the rest of his life? In fact, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're in Acts 2. Peter, this guy, is the first one to preach when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And 3,000 are saved right there on day one. In Acts 3, he heals the lame man, and he preaches to all those in the temple. In Acts 4, he's proclaiming to the religious leaders who arrest him and John. And that day, the church grew to 5,000 men. That's men. That doesn't include women and children. At that moment, the church could have been 20,000 people. Acts 10, he's at Cornelius' house. Now he's with the Gentiles. No one ever would have thought that could happen. And on and on and on through his ministry, Peter proclaims. And I'm here to say tonight, someone must proclaim. Romans 10, 14 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they've never heard about uh, in, let me repeat that. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? 
In other words, how are people going to believe if someone doesn't proclaim? It's Christmas time. Mary believed because an angel, Gabriel, showed up and proclaimed the good news of what was going to happen. Joseph believed because a key happened to him, a revelation in a dream of what was about to happen. The shepherds heard and believed and had faith because suddenly the sky was filled with angels proclaiming the good news. Then they ran into Bethlehem and the Bible says they started proclaiming it. The proclamation unlocked faith in people's hearts. Did you know that's what's going to happen on this stage this weekend? People are going to proclaim the gospel. About 80 people are coming together, been working hard since, I don't know, September, learning lines, learning dances, and they're doing an amazing job getting lights fixed. Why? All for the purpose of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And we all have a chance to be a part of it by bringing someone with us. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. It's proclamation. Proclamation. But the fifth key is this. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The fifth key is this, spiritual authority. Say it with me. What? Spiritual authority. He's saying there's a connection between what you do on earth and what happens in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm above us. How many of you know that keys, period, represent authority? You know, an employee might have a certain key to get him in a door, to get in his locker, let's say. But a manager is going to have maybe more keys that get in more doors. And the owner of the business is going to have more keys that get in those doors that others can't go in. Why? Because they have greater authority. You don't give your car keys to your eight-year-old permanently, do you? No. Because they don't have the authority to drive your vehicle yet. Keys represent authority. And Jesus is saying here to his disciples, I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving, I'm, I'm handing you authority in the heavenly realm. You say, well, what does that mean, the heavenly realm? Now, now I know we're a part of kings. Dr. Morocco is our senior pastor. If you've been around very long, you know about binding and loosing, all right? But in case you haven't heard all that, the Bible says Satan rules in the heavenlies. It's called the prince and power of the air. Ephesians 6.12 refers to, to he and his sword as rulers of this dark world, spiritual wickedness in high places, in the, in the atmosphere, in our atmosphere. That's what it's referring to, the heavenlies. And so the binding and loosing that Jesus is referring to is talking about binding up those dark powers, binding up those demonic powers, and loosing their victims. And we see it clearly when Jesus showed up. Jesus is the king, right? So where the king is, the kingdom is. And so Jesus shows up, man, he's on the earth. You know, the, the Old Testament hardly talks about demons at all. And suddenly, the king shows up on the earth, his feet are planted, he starts his ministry, he goes to church. He just goes to the synagogue and blah! Demonic manifestation. Did you like that? Some of y'all just woke up right then. You're like, what was that? Blah! Some guy in the back row is foaming at the mouth. Why? Suddenly demons are popping out everywhere. Please don't torture us. We know who you are. 
Yeah, because the king showed up. And the king is declaring truth. The king is proclaiming. Come on. The king has the ultimate spiritual authority. Amen. And so as Jesus starts exercising all of those, I don't mean exorcising, that's happening too. I mean, as he starts exercising his authority on the earth, suddenly those demon powers just automatically start to be bound. And the victims start to be loosed. We show that in this show. If you've seen it before, you see that someone disobeys the king, which represents God and the father, and suddenly they become tied up in strings. It's a picture of someone being bound by Satan or demonic power and their own sin. And in the show, the prince, Jesus, shows up and begins to set them all free. He untangles them. He starts to set them free just by the authority of who he is. And all it is is a visual picture of what this is talking about right here. And Jesus is again saying to his disciples, I'm handing you those keys. I'm trusting you, my servants, with those keys to bind those kind of powers and to loose the victims the way I'm doing is what Jesus says. Here, I'm going to loan you my keys for a while. Think of it like that. And Jesus puts it in our hands. Are you with me today? And so he's saying, Simon, as you proclaim the gospel, as you use the keys, as you proclaim who I am, as the truth goes forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, which I will give you, the enemy is automatically going to be bound because the truth, right? Knowing the truth will set you free. You see that in cultures where the gospel has had preeminence. I mean, you know, I think probably a lot of you know that we were at the cathedral in Maui for many years. We were the music directors there for 21 years before we moved to Dallas and then to Branson. So we spent a long time in Hawaii. I love Hawaii. It's a second home to me. But you know, back in the 1700s, early 1800s, it was a very dark place, incredibly dark place. Human sacrifice. They did not know the gospel at all. But what happened was, which was amazing, and it can only be a revelation key from God, is that King Kamehameha, the main king who had united the islands except for one, died. And there had been a, a system of worship and rules throughout all of Hawaii called the kapu system, all right? And there were all these rules. When someone died, you had to knock your teeth out. You could, you could not eat banana, uh, uh, men could not eat bananas with women. I mean, there was crazy rules, all right? And what is amazing is that when he died, his son, his name was Liho Liho, and one of his wives, uh, Kahumanu, I'm just, I, don't, don't I really sound Hawaiian throwing this stuff out? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Anyways. They said, what are we doing all this for? And those two literally rose up and broke what was, I don't know, hundreds of years of religious rules and basically threw out their own gods. Now, now what culture has ever risen up on their own and said, our gods, I don't think they're real. Let's get rid of them. That's what they did. And instead, they ate together immediately after that. People quit knocking their teeth out. And suddenly, they had no gods. 
There was a vacuum. What they couldn't know is that, I think it was three months later, in comes a ship from, I believe it's Connecticut or Massachusetts, Massachusetts, with missionaries that had come to proclaim the gospel to Hawaii. And God had already opened up, by revelation we could say, this spiritual vacuum, and here comes the proclaimers on the water. And, and what, 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 what those Hawaiians had no idea about is that some years before, I mean, I, I don't know if it was 10 years or what, a young man named Opukahaya, later known as Henry Obakaya, a young Hawaiian boy, had gotten on a, a, a whaling ship. And he had found his way to Massachusetts, to New England, and he had heard the gospel, and he had gotten saved. And he was so burdened for his nation of Hawaii that he began to pray for Hawaii. And he began to go to congregational churches throughout New England sharing, I'm from this place called Hawaii. They need the gospel, blah, blah, blah. Well, he ended up dying of some fever before he could ever go. But all of those missionaries rose up in faith because of his proclamation and had faith in their hearts and said, we've got to go to this place wherever it's at, Hawaii. And they got on that boat and they showed up three months after that void. Come on. And so they began to proclaim the gospel in Hawaii. And kind of to make a long story short-ish, the entire nation of Hawaii at that time literally became Christian. Queen Ka'ahumanu, who was, she was, she was bad, you could say. She was in charge. She was a co-regent, but she was in charge. She goes, guess what? The new law of the land is the Ten Commandments. We will all follow the Ten Commandments. She made it the law of the nation. And the nation started to change. In fact, the other queen, uh, Keopuolani, who was like the highest power queen, became the first Christian to ever be baptized in the nation. A nation changed. A nation changed. In fact, in time... On the big island of Hawaii, what could have been then the largest church in the world, a church of about 14,000 people emerged as the nation became Christian. The town of Hilo, if you've ever been there, it exists because it was a church and people just started moving there because they wanted to go to that church. That's why that town exists. All because a young Hawaiian boy proclaimed. And then here comes a boat full of believers who began to proclaim. And a whole nation was transformed. An entire nation was transformed. Listen, what bound the work of the enemy? It was just the proclamation of the truth. It was the declaring of the word of God. And as it was declared, demon power that had caused human sacrifice, that had caused so much evil, began to be bound until a whole nation of people was changed. Now, come on, give glory to God. Did you know that can happen here in the state of Alaska? As the word is declared in the power of the Holy Spirit, come on. I mean, think with me for a minute. Those missionaries who came to that nation, they weren't Pentecostal believers. They were like super straight-laced congregational. Sorry, I don't know, you know. 
They didn't even really have the infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit, but they were bold to proclaim the word, and the word did its work. Come on. But as we, God's people, proclaim the powers over this city or this valley or this region or this state will be bound as we're faithful to use the keys God's given us. Come on. How many of you believe that? Come on, give a big amen. If you believe it. And so Jesus is speaking this in Caesarea Philippi. It's like, this place is bad, guys. We all know it's bad, but guess what? These gates of hell will not stand against my church that I'm raising up. The gates of hell will not be able to stand against the rock, the foundation of faith, the rock of who I am. And in Acts, and, and ongoing, you just see it happening. Jesus spoke it, and now it's not him. It's all those disciples loosing people from demonic power. The miracles, deliverances by Peter, Paul, and others. They were using their keys. The keys Jesus was handing to them now in the power of the Spirit, they're using this, using them. And catch this. All these keys we've talked about work together. It all begins with the key of revelation and proclamation. And those keys unlock belief and faith, which unlocks the door to confession, which unlocks the door to the kingdom in their hearts, which unlocks living in spiritual authority and victory. And then now that person in spiritual authority and victory now takes his keys and goes and proclaims it to somebody else. And it repeats and it repeats and it repeats and it repeats. But think for a moment. What if you're a business owner? And maybe some of you are here tonight. And you have a new employee. They're janitorial. They're supposed to clean your offices, your bathrooms, your everything. And you're like, here's your keys. You know, they go through HR. They do whatever they got to do. They get their time card, whatever it is. You start tomorrow. And what if that employee just keeps coming to work and standing in front of your business? And you, you show up and you're like, man, the bathroom stinks. How come none of the trashes have been emptied? How come? And you go outside and, and there's your employee standing outside. Here it would be freezing, <laughs> shivering. And, 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 and you come and things aren't working and so your business actually can't move forward because of the stench or the overflowing trash or the dirt on the carpet because no one wants to come there. And you're not able to do your job. Are you understanding what I'm saying today? You would look at that guy and say, dude, what, what, what the heck? What, what are you doing out here? And he'd be like, I couldn't get in. And you'd be like, use your keys. I gave you the keys. And sometimes I think we're standing in front of doors as God's people or as church and we're waiting for them to fling open and we're waiting for this. And he's like, I've got a job I've given you to do. Use your keys. Open the door. I mean, if we talk to that guy, we'd be like, duh. Sometimes I'm afraid Jesus is like, hello. So often... Like the physical, we can lose our keys. I'm going to refer to a scene in Birthday of a King. If you've seen the show, you'll understand. 
If you haven't, you might understand it better this weekend. Why do we lose our keys? Well, distraction. Distraction. We're thinking about other stuff. This is me all the time. I'm thinking about something else. Like I said, lay them down in random places. You know, the enemy wants to distract you and distract us and get us so consumed by so many things that seem so important that we just misplace our spiritual keys. They're no longer a big priority to us. Faith and God might take a back seat. Now, listen, you're here on Wednesday night, so I know you're full of faith. Or two, we just don't use them very much. We really don't need access to that door that much, so they become unimportant to us. Have you ever looked at your keys and been like, what is this? Have you ever done that? I've done it. Like, what building did I used to need in that this went to? And then I take it off and I throw it in the key drawer with all the other stuff that I'm like, maybe one day I might need those. Come on, and that can happen spiritually. If you don't lose, use the keys, you lose the keys, or they just get rusty. You know, and it doesn't seem to work because you never use them. Or maybe you lose them because of delusion or deception, delusion or deception. You start to believe something that really isn't true. It, it isn't reality. The devil is the father of lies. He's a deceiver. So you kind of start to lose that key of, of faith maybe a little bit or belief through, through discouragement. God, where were you in this moment? Unmet expectations, trauma, what you feel were unanswered prayers. I mean, we could list it on and on. The devil will use anything to deceive you. And you might be here tonight and say, come on, pastor. We're the Wednesday night crowd. We're good Christians. We don't need to hear that. Can I just say this? Be careful. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul wrote, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You know, he's writing about the nation of Israel, how they had so much revelation. Meant food from heaven fell to them every day for 40 years. They saw the glory of God. They, they heard the mountain shake and all the, all the, the lightning and thunder. They, they had the revelation of the ten. They were not short on revelation. They had Moses. He was one of the greatest leaders of all time. They had the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, it was like God was there, visual in some ways. So they saw water pour out of a rock. And yet he's talking about them, and he says they even drank from the rock, like I said there. He says, which was Christ. But he said, yet God wasn't pleased with most of them. And it says he left them scattered, their bodies scattered in the desert. After all that revelation, Paul said, God wasn't pleased with a lot of them. Or 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, it says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which, conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck 
with regard to the faith. He's writing this to Timothy. Timothy's not some newbie Christian. Timothy's like his son, like his right-hand man. In, in fact, he's becoming, or at that point is becoming, or has become the pastor of the church in Ephesus, which was where Paul had his greatest revival. You don't hand the church where you've had your greatest revival to, to, a, to a newbie or someone who's not very strong in their faith. And yet he's saying to Pastor Timothy, fight the battle well. He's saying to Pastor Timothy, hold on to your faith. And then he says, not like Hymenaeus and Alexander. He literally calls their names. How'd you like to have your name called out? He said, whose faith was shipwrecked. He said, don't be like those guys. I mean, he's talking to Timothy. The devil makes it his job to cause us to be so discouraged or so distracted or so deceived that our faith will be shipwrecked and our keys stolen. And he will flaunt the thing that is your weakness. Listen to me. He will flaunt the thing that is your weakness right in front of you. That lustful thought, that thing that pops up on your phone, he'll cause you to run into somebody that you don't really need to be around. And we may feel like we're Superman Christian But if Timothy needs to be told, you better hold on to your keys. We need to hear it as well. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Momentary fulfillment. And guys, people sell their spiritual birthright all the time. What they gained as a son and daughter of God for all kinds of momentary pleasures. So what I'm saying is, these keys we're talking about are not a game. They're not fun and games. They're not optional keys. I want this one, but not this one. No, these keys unlock eternity to us. It's not just the kingdom right now on the earth. It's eternity. It's heaven or hell. Come on, folks. It's the eternal kingdom. They give us eternal access with Jesus. And the word tonight, guys, is this. Don't lose your keys. Two weeks ago, we were getting ready for our first week of performances of Birthday of a King, just like you're having right now. And in that one week, I had four dreams of people, no one specific, but people who were falling away from God. People that served God, they were strong, but they were falling away from God. And the last dream that I had, the minute my eyes opened and woke up, and let me just say, throughout that week, I was like, God, what are you saying? I mean, one dream is good, three. And I woke up after the fourth dream, the minute I woke up, I heard God say to me, don't lose your key. felt like it was a warning. So church, let me say this tonight. Don't lose your keys. Hold them tight. Your faith, your confession, the revelation God's given you, 
the proclamation that God wants to use you to do, your spiritual authority. They're not just the keys. They are key to your future, to your success in Christ, and to you having eternal life. Hold on to your keys. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to King's Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.